0: I'm sorry, sister. Oh, no, that's all right. It's enough for the first lesson, though.
1: You forgot your footwork. You forgot something, didn't you? <laughs> something? <laughs> I forgot everything. Forgot a bob. I forgot the weave. I had my mouth open. <laughs> I ran right into the payoff. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to The Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture. I'm Susan Araslan.
0: I'm David Daw.
1: And this week, we watched the fourth film in the 1945 nominees, The Bells of St. Mary's, a sequel to Going My Way, which won. We didn't pick it, but the Academy picked it. (laughs) for 1944 and
0: it's the same movie
1: it's the same movie
0: (laughs) i want to record like a couple of nouns like building a new business building instead of collect on a loan like weirdly sexual rivalry with a nun
1: played by ingrid bergman
0: (laughs) instead of rivalry with an old irish priest and just have you drop in a couple of different specifics and then put out our Going My Way episode again. It is that much the same movie. It once again has a weird Act 3 that's totally unnecessary. This movie could end at the hour and 40 minute mark. All problems are solved. And then suddenly the movie introduces new problems so it can vamp for another 30 minutes. Just like Going My Way. (laughs) It's weird.
1: Yeah, it is frankly remarkable how similar these movies are. The way that a procedural has its structure from week to week. (laughs) Not even contemporary ones, which tend to have an overarching seasonal narrative too. (laughs) Yeah. It really does feel like somebody laid out on a spreadsheet the beats of the previous film and then just changed a few things within that spreadsheet and i'm not saying change the story i mean change the details yeah there's even a teen girl who has some problems with her parents yeah (laughs) except the problems this time are that her mom had her out of wedlock i'm guessing they don't really address that but it's
0: I like to imagine, even though it definitely isn't this, that the mom has been doing some really shady stuff because the mom is like weirdly reticent about saying where she's getting money.
1: Oh, I think they definitely implied that she is a prostitute i i
0: guess and i like that read because it makes father o'malley a like way better dude because he also refuses to tell anything about this mom for the rest of the fucking movie but it also seems like the code is like you can definitely not say that for sure and maybe she just is working at a shady hardware store i don't know
1: (laughs) it's the part where her daughter goes home to see her and has yet to hear about which this is very bizarre the fact that her father has now come back into her life because Father O'Malley found him, despite the fact that apparently this woman has been unable to do so for 16 years.
0: Also, um, that guy 100% didn't look the way I was expecting, No. given his backstory as like a Lothario who walked out on this girl's hot mom. And then he's just like, hi, I'm the pudgy piano player at a small bar.
1: But she's going home and she gets off the elevator and turns the corner to go to her family apartment and sees a guy leaving and gets upset and runs back to the elevator.
0: Right.
1: That was the point where I went, oh, okay, the thing that I thought it might be at the beginning of the movie, it's that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'd forgotten that detail, but yeah. That also explains a whole lot more about, like her plotline is the closest thing to something new that happens in this movie. Father O'Malley's been assigned to this new church called St. Mary's. Their problem is that there's a new building that a rich dude is building across the street that they really want because it's a nice building, but he wants to tear down their building and put up a parking lot. And he's, you know, a bad person, but then Father O'Malley convinces his doctor to lie to him. (laughs) So that he'll Scrooge it and decide to become a good person so that he lives longer. And that works, but then God hits him with a car anyway.
1: It's kind of wild that he just gives them that building.
0: It's super wild that he gives them that building as this long con about like, and I don't think this is a long con. I think the movie weirdly treats it as a long con. The the long con of making him have generosity of spirit so that, like, he will be a good person and people will like him better. And then the movie's like, yeah, but fuck you. You were mean to a nun in the first act, so you get hit by a car. And it's like, I, okay, wow.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's very confusing. <laughs> what the moral of that is which is apparently even if you reform to the point of literally giving away an entire building not just trying to buy up the church and knock it down but giving them the building rather than doing that you will still get hit by a car and deserve it (laughs) i guess
0: That's the A-plot in terms of, like, that's the thing that matters in this movie. It's why Father O'Malley has been brought in. The main business of the movie is a very weird relationship with Ingrid Bergman's sister, Mary Benedict where I cannot get a read about what either of them consistently think about anything. Both of them are constantly going like, we fight all the time, but every single one of their fights seems like so low stakes and that neither of them care about it, and that both of them are going to start making out with the other one at any given fucking moment. Yeah. It's crazy.
1: I honestly thought in this movie, from a very early point, because their chemistry is a lot, that the reason that this is the last Father O'Malley movie is because at the end they both decide to leave the church to get married. And that doesn't happen despite fireworks between them the entire film.
0: (laughs) Right. We know why this movie got nominated, despite the fact of everything we're saying about it and the fact that a movie that's literally exactly like it came out a year before. And that's because it made more money than God. It made like six times its budget it was the highest grossing movie of the year apparently America cannot get enough of this smarmy priest they are going insane for this guy
1: see I figured that the reason that it was nominated was because if they didn't nominate it because it was exactly the same film they would have to reflect on the fact that they gave it the award the year before
0: (laughs) I feel like you could hack that too easily like how could you not give Taxi Driver (laughs) 2 Best Picture?
1: (laughs) No, you have to nominate it. You don't necessarily have to give them the award, but you do have to nominate it.
0: I mean, I think that's part of it, but I also do think it's this movie was too popular. They kind of had to throw all the awards at it because it was broadly crowd-pleasing to such a degree. It's like when the Academy clearly didn't want to give any of the Lord of the Rings movies any nominations, let alone let them win. But when they nominated Two Towers, it was very clearly like, yeah, fine, I guess it did make like a gajillion fucking dollars. Christ, yeah, okay. And this kind of feels like that to me.
1: And then they gave it to Return of the King. Yes. Because they had to at that point.
0: Yeah. It was just like one of those nominated for everything wins nothing movies. And I think like you're right that it's a combination of, well, if the last one was good and this one is exactly like the last one, then this one is good too by the transitive property.
1: (laughs) I mean, really, that's what it feels (laughs) like.
0: (laughs) And it's got to be in the conversation if it's making this much money. But there's nothing to say about it. We didn't say about going my way except, like, he spends even more time with the character he has this weird sexual undercurrent with in this one. That's the big switch up.
1: There's a couple of scenes in here that are cute that I absolutely do not think are worth watching this movie because, again, it is two hours long, just like the last one. But there are a few scenes that stand alone that I think are worth watching, one being the... Christmas play rehearsal scene.
0: I was going to bring up this specific scene. Susan, give me a 1 to 10 rating on four year olds improving their way through the nativity play.
1: 17 and a half.
0: That's what I thought. Okay.
1: (laughs) And like, I'm not even a big kid. Like, oh, I can't wait to have babies. Like, I don't want kids. This is still unquestionably the most adorable thing I've ever seen.
0: Yeah, it it is four-year-olds doing bad improv of Mary and Joseph trying to find a room at the end. And it is the most engaging part about this movie by like a factor of 10. <laughs> I mean that both in that the rest of this movie is kind of boring. And it is weirdly engaging to watch four-year-olds try and work their way through the plot of the nativity. It's great.
1: When it starts and... Sister, whatever her name is, Sister Ingrid Bergman asks yes. Father Bing Crosby to come in and watch it and says that the dialogue is different every time they do it and who knows what it will be like on Christmas. I'm thinking, oh man, they're going to do some, you know, cutesy kid thing where they give them really obvious joke lines or whatever. And I'm pretty sure that what they actually did was just take toddlers and say, do Christmas, and let them go.
0: It does feel like they did it Seth Rogen movie style, where they just ran through these kids doing it 30 times and took the best take.
1: Slash the worst one, because that's somehow the most endearing.
0: It's great. And it is also a real high point in this movie for me. There's a couple of other good scenes like that, but that is the one that sticks out as... This is a movie where the big change from Going My Way is this time it's a school. And they don't do a ton with that. There's that scene, and then there's the weird scene where Bing Crosby debates whether grades should exist or not. And the movie... Is very weirdly open-minded about it, but doesn't come down either way. So again, it just plays like he and Ingrid Bergman are about to make out.
1: Every single one of their fights feels like it should end with him throwing her against a wall. Yeah. And yet... None. yeah, Zero. <laughs> I was like, wait, wait which none? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: <sighs>
1: and then at the end... The thing where she faints or something, she gets sick, and the doctor comes and tells Father O'Malley that she has tuberculosis, but tells her that actually she's she's fine, and that she needs to be transferred so she's not working with kids— but that the reason needs to be hidden from her because the best way for her to get well is to not know that she has tuberculosis. Yeah. Because the power of positive thinking is really critical for the healing of tuberculosis.
0: That misunderstanding is so forced that even though they never make out, legally, this is a romantic comedy.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: The fact that the entirety of Act 3 is him going, I'm sending you away and I won't say why. And her going, it's because we fight all the time in ways that definitely don't imply we're going to make out, isn't it?
1: <laughs> well, and her saying, oh, that's okay. You know, I, I really love St. Mary's, but but if that's if that's what you think is best, then that's what'll happen. But, you know, as long as I still get to work with children... Oh, oh, I don't get to work with Uh, children? Okay, well, that's, that's okay.
0: Yeah, it is wild. And then the last scene is just Bing Crosby goes, you know what? Fuck it. I don't want you to be angry at me, even if that means I'm like jeopardizing your health like a doctor just told me. And she goes, oh, thank God. And then the movie's over.
1: Oh, well, and the way that it is phrased is, That she has a touch of tuberculosis, which I don't know. I mean, I'm not a doctor, (laughs) but, you know, I play one on Wikipedia, Mm -hmm. but I don't think that you can actually have a touch of tuberculosis. I don't think it works that way.
0: (laughs) The doctor implies they caught it early, which makes some sense to me. But the general thing about it that I find very strange is the idea that telling her or not telling her is going to have a huge effect on the outcome of it. Because one, it's not. That's nothing.
1: Especially her. Like, specifically this character.
0: Yeah. But the thing about it that's wild to me is, two, once you've committed to doing that for 25 minutes of the movie, having Bing Crosby turn around and go like, ah, made her kind of sad, fuck it, is like, my dude, like, you can't... (laughs) You shouldn't have done it in the first place then.
1: Yeah, I kind of feel like his interpretation is her not being able to work with kids and thinking that it is something that she did is actually going to be worth worse for her health than just saying, look, you got a bit of the tuberculosis.
0: And if he articulated that, I'd be fine with it. But instead, he just goes like, I couldn't let you leave thinking what you think. That's because you want to make out. And then they don't make out and you go, that was kind of for you. (laughs) It's just a weird way to end the movie, especially because that entire plot line comes up out of nowhere, 25 minutes before the movie is over. None of it is necessary. Just end the movie with the old rich guy going, I've decided to be a generous spirit from now on.
1: Well, the other thing that's weird about the tuberculosis thing is that she's not in any way quarantined from anyone. No. They're like, yeah, you need to send her away so she can't be around kids. But it's fine if she's here for the big graduation day where she's around all of the kids who are hugging her and also all of their parents. That's okay.
0: Right. I also thought (laughs) the end of the movie was going to be he goes off with her. He goes like, we will journey forth together to make the world a better place through the church. As that's how you square that circle. He can't tell her, but she'll find out on her own. He'll be there to support her and and whatever.
1: (laughs) And make out with her.
0: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, for sure. (laughs) But no, he just tells her and then she's like, great, now I'll go rest up and come back. Okay, we didn't need any of this then. No. It's all unnecessary. There's the weird plot with the girl whose mom is maybe a prostitute, maybe probably a prostitute i don't know what the code wants you to think but that's the only explanation that makes any sense
1: i kind of think the code wants you to think she's a prostitute but is like as long as we don't say it it doesn't count
0: Yeah, yeah i guess
1: like they never say that she wasn't married when her daughter was born it's one of those things where the omission actually makes it clear that that is true Oh, yeah, her dad is this guy who is a piano player, but, you know, then I just never saw him again. (laughs) Okay, so seems unlikely that you never saw him again after you were married. She does
0: have kind of a story for that because he like goes off to Europe or something with his band. And then the band breaks up and he just never comes back.
1: But he didn't know that she was pregnant. Mm -hmm. And if they were married, even if the band broke up, wouldn't he come back?
0: I think you're right that the code not letting you say stuff is weirdly working out in this movie's favor. Because it's like the opposite of Heaven Can Wait. Where there is no answer there that the code would like, but as long as it doesn't settle on any of the answers, it's like, well, at some point in there, somebody who was supposed to be married to do a thing they did either was or, like, wasn't. Either they should have been married in there and he walked out on them, or they should have been married when she was having a kid. There's just no explanation the code likes, but because it's confusing and they never say exactly what's going on, the code is like, I guess that I, you know what, I can't work out this logic puzzle. I'm sure it's fine. And then lets them get away with it.
1: I mean, I think the only rule is they didn't say it so it doesn't count. (laughs) But the not saying it is actually what makes it pretty transparent that that's what's going on. Because otherwise, why would she be excited to see him again? If they'd been married and he straight up walked out on her, yikes. And she just seems to be like, well, yeah, I just, you know, just never found him again. She
0: makes a big thing about him being the only man she ever loved, which is another reason why that guy being just like a who is he funny or something when he walks in is wild.
1: Which he might be because we don't see enough of him to even know.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I like. Did you also have the moment where after Father O'Malley tried to excuse himself and they were like, "No, please stay," you were like, "Oh God, this scene's longer." (laughs) Like I,
1: (laughs) Uh, I definitely felt that way about ninety percent of the scenes (laughs) of like, "Oh, okay, this is this is still
0: happening, huh?"
1: I thought that was a button, but apparently, there's more to happen here. Okay, well,
0: (sighs) but it's one of those weird things where honestly, when he walked in, I thought she was going to go like, "This isn't him." You just found a piano player.
1: Yeah, honestly, how did he find this guy? Because he's totally like, once a piano player, always a piano player. So you just kept going to every bar in New York until you found a guy who remembered this woman?
0: He does a reference to a kind of famous piano player of the period, which I think is a joke. But also is the closest thing to an explanation that you get is he went all the way to the top. So I think it genuinely is supposed to be that like he went to the secret order of piano players and they went through the Rolodex and went like, can you find a guy who was going around with a gal named blah, blah, da, da, blah, blah before going off to Europe? And they're like, yep, found him. His name's Bob Dickerson. That's the best explanation I've got. <laughs> For what the hell
1: sure <laughs> honestly that's a movie i would watch is the movie where father o'malley goes from bar to bar to try to find this little girl's dad
0: that is one of the f- ways that this movie is actually a little bit worse than going my way there was at least some legwork to anything anybody did in going my way you know He had to go see his ex-girlfriend at the Met or like go tell a music executive about a shitty song again. In this one, he just announces problems to be solved. Like, the most legwork of anything is him pulling the doctor aside and going, hey, could you tell him that you live longer if you're a good Christian? And the doctor going, you mean lie to him? And him going, I mean, not in so many words. And then the doctor going, I hear ya." And that's it. That's (laughs) all it takes. Yeah. That is the most work anybody does. Everything else is just like, Problem is established, and then they just sort of announce problem is solved?
1: Yes. Oh, here's this issue that has come up, and then the next scene is, hey, while I was off screen, I resolved that thing.
0: Yeah, like, the main girl- Patsy. Fails all of her classes, and Bing Crosby and Ingrid Bergman get into a long debate slash smoldering makeout session about whether grades are a useful part of pedagogy, And then they just sort of leave, and then at the end she goes, I faked failing all my classes, I should graduate. And Ingrid Bergman goes, well, that solves it. Does
1: it? I mean, she intentionally failed her finals because she wanted to stay at the school, which is a weird choice, but whatever. And then the way that she proves this is she says one thing that was maybe a test question and answers it correctly. And then Ingrid Bergman is like, oh, okay, well then, yeah, obviously, every single class you didn't fail because of this one question from one subject that you do know. To
0: be fair, that answer did imply she understood the subjunctive case, which I think actually legally gives her a master's degree. (laughs) Like, I...
1: Not in 1945. I think that's what you I mean, needed that to graduate third grade.
0: Yeah, fair. <laughs> yeah, they still diagrammed sentences and shit back then, huh? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I do think this movie has some charming scenes. The scene where Ingrid Bergman tries to teach an eight-year-old boy how to box is pretty cute.
1: But it goes on for way too long. We get the joke.
0: Oh, it's way too long. Get to the part where a little kid punches Ingrid Bergman in the
1: face (laughs) way faster. We get it. A nun is teaching a kid to box because he's getting bullied and he needs to beat somebody up. That's funny. Does it need to go on for 10 minutes? Absolutely not.
0: Yet again, this is why they made it a TV show. Although this time I am super angry because Father O'Malley establishes a catchphrase in this movie that makes it so that I cannot believe the TV series was not called Dial O for O'Malley.
1: (laughs) Oh yeah, I forgot about that. (laughs)
0: In the last 20 minutes, he just starts trying to make that a thing in, like, every piece of dialogue he's got. And it's like, well, why didn't you call the fucking TV show that? Because that's what you're doing every week.
1: Just look me up. I'm in the phone book.
0: This would have been a perfectly pleasant 40-minute episode of television guest starring Ingrid Bergman. And as a two-plus-hour movie, it's like, fuck off. (laughs) Like, this movie max needed to be in an hour 20 max.
1: And if they were going to make it even that long, it needed more musical numbers.
0: Yeah, the musical numbers in this one are not that good.
1: The only one that's really good is a Fideles, but that's just because it's on the Bing Crosby Christmas album.
0: The titular song is whatever. Ingrid Bergman's one real stab at a musical number is...
1: Embarrassing.
0: I legitimately forgot it happened.
1: It is a Swedish song.
0: Yeah. I do like that they actually gave her a backstory to explain why she looks like fucking ingrid bergman in this movie (laughs) oh she has ingrid bergman's exact backstory just she became a nun and then father o'malley's like yes yes of course that makes sense of course
1: right of course a swedish girl would move to new york in order to become a nun and not any of the (laughs) countries in europe that are catholic yeah and much closer Uh, anyway
0: again it's fine should we rate this I feel like we've talked about it more than enough. Did I miss any big things?
1: One thing is that this movie does use double exposure, a large amount for a film that is not about anything where you would need special effects, which is just Ingrid Bergman imagining children in the building across the street, so they have to make it spooky.
0: (laughs) Yeah, like there's a wacky misunderstanding scene between the rich guy and the nuns, where the nuns think he's going to give away the building way before he stops having a like piece of coal for a heart. And he keeps being like, I can't wait to turn it into a parking lot. Your whole school. Fuck children. They're the worst. <laughs> and like the dialogue can't quite cover it. And so they just like do these elaborate double exposure shots of both of their dreams There's something there that could be really funny, but instead it just plays like they don't trust the audience to understand that they think two different things are going on. And so they have to visually show what they're imagining.
1: In case you were wondering what this building would look like full of children, here's this building. of children
0: (laughs) it's very very funny that the old rich guy constantly has these daydreams about a parking lot but i don't think the movie thinks that's funny
1: (laughs) (laughs) you know i didn't even really think about it but that is kind of hilarious
0: (laughs) i don't think the movie thinks like wavy effect wavy effect wavy effect ah just filled with cars can't you see it cars as far as the eye can see (laughs) Is very funny, but I think the movie is just like, he wants a parking lot. I need you to know that.
1: And this is what a parking lot looks like, in case you don't know what that is. Yeah, I mean, five?
0: Yeah, five. I actually want to give it like a 4.98. It's slightly worse (laughs) than going my way.
1: In some ways, but slightly better in others.
0: I was just about to go. And then it actually gets bumped back up that point zero two by Ingrid Bergman being there. And then back down from her trying to sing, but back up again from four-year-olds doing improv. And so we find ourselves at a five.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is. Totally fine. Except for that one scene with the four-year-olds doing improv, which is a 17 and a half out of 10. Yeah. D- don't watch this movie. <laughs> no. Absolutely watch that scene with the four-year-olds.
0: Yeah, the whole thing's free on YouTube, so feel free to scan forward to the part where a bunch of four-year-olds do a nativity play. That's really all you need.
1: Yeah. Next week is the last one. It's Spellbound. Woo-hoo. Which is the... Hitchcock movie yeah so I'm pretty psyched about this actually
0: I have some high hopes
1: and it also stars Ingrid Bergman
0: yeah she's just like in fucking everything for this like five-year stretch and then she's still in stuff but it stops being like Catherine Hepburn where she's just like in at least one thing and usually two every year you know
1: I'm excited also to see her in something again that's good You know what I mean? We kind of go back and forth with Ingrid Bergman. She's always great, but she's not always used well.
0: (laughs) That is very true. And like, she is not generally speaking the kind of actor who's like the best thing in a bad movie. She's still good in that thing, but she doesn't like elevate the material. No. You can always tell exactly how funny anything Tim Meadows is in is by how funny Tim Meadows is in it. Like, he is this perfect comedy barometer. If that thing is just okay, like the ladies' man movie, then he's just kind of okay in it. But if that movie is hilarious, like, he is amazing in Mean Girls. And that's because Mean Girls is amazing. (laughs) Ingrid Bergman kind of has the same thing going on. If your movie is a six, she will never drag it down. Ingrid Bergman is always the right person to cast. But she will not save your shitty movie. (laughs)
1: No, if your movie is a six, her performance will be a seven. Yeah. It will not be a 10 performance in a six movie.
0: But let's see what performance she gives next week to know how good that movie is.
1: I definitely am looking forward to it, which uh, scares me a little bit because traditionally that has been a problem. Um,
0: (laughs) Yeah.
1: Oh, and the poster is beautiful.
0: Yeah, that was the thing I was trying not to say. Mm, That's a good poster.
1: It's maybe the best poster we've had so far. It's very evocative without telling you anything about the movie.
0: It looks like a poster from the 80s. And I mean that as a compliment. It looks like it's jumped like two generations of movie posters.
1: Yeah, except for the text for the title of the movie, which... Oh yeah, that's... Firmly roots it in this period. Yeah. But the rest of it, even the text that... You know, has Ingrid Bergman and Gregory Peck at the top.
0: Yeah, God, I feel like that font on Spellbound is so bad. It's gonna have to be a reference to something in the movie, right? Like, it's so bad.
1: It's very specific.
0: Yeah, that it's such a choice. While every other choice is good... That it's like, well, the entire movie is about how letters should look like bad pieces of salami that you've just sort of spilled (laughs) around on a table. Like, I don't know how that's the theme of the movie, but judging from this poster, it has to be.
1: Uh, yeah. (laughs) Let's find out next week. Yep. And until then.
0: This was the exact same fucking movie as last year, Bing Crosby. You're not fooling anyone.
1: I mean, apparently they fooled the money out of 21 million. Oh my God. Yeah. This movie was made for $1.3 million and made 21 and a third million dollars.
0: This is what I'm saying. That's that like Avengers Infinity War money for the 40s. Like that's fucking insane.
1: Yeah, except on a shoestring budget.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's like if Get Out made as much money as Infinity War.
1: I mean, the reason that it was nominated is because they had the money to spend on the campaign.
0: (laughs) They literally just paid every Academy member $100 and was like,
1: fuck it. (laughs) Uh, Uh, Goodbye, everybody.
0: Bye.